0: alrighty welcome to the first ever episode of Tom's takes a new sports podcast where I'm gonna share my takes on everything that's happening around the world in sport um, and try to give you my thoughts or my interesting opinions about it in a um, you know in a way that you haven't thought about before hopefully and share some new perspectives or uh, yeah just keep you informed with everything that's Happening and what you need to know. So, why why have I started this podcast? Why not? Um, I feel like sport in my life. Besides my my partner Pav, who has been a strong influence in getting me to start this podcast as well. So, thank shout out to her. Um, you know, apart from Pav, I think sports is the next biggest thing in my life and. You know, I'm always talking about sports to everyone that I meet and run into and my good friends, so this I thought this would be a great opportunity and good place to put some more of those thoughts out into the world and, I don't know, hopefully grow a little bit of a community um, who shares um, a similar love of sports and, you know, I, the whole podcasting thing intrigues me and I like to learn new things, so why not? Why not learn new things? Be challenged. Be challenged by others. Learn from others. Keep evolving and growing. That's that's the main thing for me. Years old. I live in Sydney, Australia. Um, I'm a physiotherapist. I am a PhD student, so I'm doing research at the moment. Um, I'm teaching at university as well, teaching other young physio kids how to be physios, which is. Very cool, very exciting, something I'm really passionate about, but is uh, really challenging and, and scary too. Um, crazy, but really enjoying that. And I love sports. I'm so into sports. I'm not playing anything currently, but I previously played You know, soccer, a bit of netball, touch football, cricket, rugby league, rugby union, basically every sport. And that's because I, I really love every sport and I watch every sport. You know, I feel like at university or school, there's that cringy, you know, introduce yourself and one sort of fact. And then, you know, my fact would always be cringy, but I think my go to would always just be, you know, I'm Tom and I really love sport. And people would be like, oh, which one? And, you know, what do you watch? And I'd tell them, like, everything, (laughs) literally everything. I, you know, from NFL to NBA, you know, baseball, golf, hockey rugby league, rugby union, cricket, you know, the olympics, even bloody lawn bowls and curling and yeah, there's nothing that i haven't watched so that and that i find entertaining and i love diving into each sport and trying to understand the tactics and how it works, how you get better at it. Um yeah, that's really entertaining to me. And that's what we'll sort of cover on this podcast, so the main sports are I want to talk about is probably the NFL, like so American football and American basketball at the NBA. And so is that I'm in touch with the most and probably have, you know, the most fans worldwide, the biggest audience, the biggest markets. Um, but, you know, I know everything going on at a local level with NRL and rugby union and the A-League and champions league and baseball, golf, everything. So have some main sort of staples that we talk about, but I will touch on, you know, little, uh, you know, unique or things I find interesting that's happening in different sports. Like, you know, I was never really interested in Formula One racing, but then recently having watched that Drive to Survive show on Netflix, massive shout out to that show. If you haven't seen it yet, you should definitely watch it because the production and the storylines and that's what draws me to sport as well. You know, it's more than just the game. It's what you know, the players' stories and the context all around that's happening in that sport that makes it even more, you know, thrilling to watch and makes you keep up with it. So, hopefully, I can give a bit more insight into sports that you guys really love as well um, through what I'm watching and what I pick up as well. I'm hoping too that, like I said before, that I'm really, I'd love to sort of like interact with anybody that listens to this podcast and make sure that I'm talking about, you know, not only things that I find interesting, but you know, if you have suggestions or things that you found interesting or want someone else's thoughts about and see what my take is on it and see if we agree, see if we disagree, see if, uh, we're similar in a couple of things, but then a couple of things we're different on, um, that I can bring you a new take on something. Um, that's what I, I find most exciting about potentially with this journey and this project. So, uh, make sure like you sub- subscribe to this um, wherever you're listening to on this, and leave a review and follow me on Instagram, Tom Patterson ninety seven. I'll be sure to make a newer Instagram account to something related to Tom's takes for this podcast too. So send me a DM if you have any questions or suggestions. Um, I'll make sure to in, incorporate that into some of the episodes. Okay, so today, what I want to sort of cover, I think, is talking about the NBA playoffs, where just starting the NBA playoffs, where i have just starting this podcast just in time, I think, that I can, you know, bring all, catch you all up to speed into what's happening there and that I can get in as we progress through these NBA finals and we can cover that really intensely and bring you up to speed um so i'll I'll talk about the first sort of early rounds that have happened so far um and then another big event coming up in the nfl is the nfl draft so later in this episode i'll give you some of my takes about the nfl draft and what that is why it might not be as exciting as or there's not as much hype as last year or the year before Uh, compared to this draft that's just about to happen and why that is. Um, And then we'll finish off with just a couple of introductory sort of common questions that you guys might like to know about Um, me and sports and how I think about a few things. So it is the NBA playoff time right now. It is the first round of the playoffs. So the... East and West are split into conferences, and it's basically like the quarterfinals. So, you know, Team 1 plays Team 8, 2v7, 3v6, and 4 and 5. And now we get into the seven-game series for all these playoffs. So starting off just a few days ago, we had massive result and a clean sweep with the Boston Celtics in the East, who are the number two team, sweeping, humiliating the Brooklyn Nets, big super team who had much hype coming into this year with that big three of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. Uh you know, James Harden hasn't been there for a month or so. He got traded recently, but that's how they started the season off. They traded that James Harden for another to supplement that or restore that big three with Ben Simmons. And we'll get into that in a moment. But we've just seen that Playoff series, those playoff games finish up. Uh, Yeah, Boston winning 4-0. Crazy sort of series. Like, you know, Boston, the higher seed, playing two games at their home court first in Boston. Brooklyn was up in both those games big and just had lots of turnovers, careless sort of plays. You know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant not really stepping up. Wanting to just kind of play hero ball, thinking I'm the best player, and they are so talented. And I know you know rightly so, they're great players. It's not a knock on them, but I thought they could have involved the other guys, you know there's five guys on the floor, there's still only two of them, you know, involve your teammates like Boston played great defense, you know they were very physical, got their hands on these guys, um you know, shoving them around a little bit wearing them down, tiring them down throughout the series. But often, you know, for Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, their best two players, they were getting double teamed throughout the series. So, I don't know. I would like to see more adjustments from the head coach and from those great players, you know, KD and Kyrie, to hand the ball off more, get their teammates going, have them hit a few threes or get them going make them aggressive in in the paint area close to the basket so that they can get rid of some of the double teams because you know Boston played smart they that's a good tactic from them going make someone else beat you i understand you're like the best player in the world basically or these two you know top 10 in the league right now make the other three players or whoever is on the field make someone else beat you make them hit shots um So it's a great tactic. Every time Kyrie or KD went up to shoot, there was two, three Boston players also going up to contest it. So a lot of pressure, a lot of block shots, a lot of turnovers. um, And it, it got to them. I think Brooklyn wasn't expecting that. It took them too long to adjust. Boston won those two games at home. Brooklyn came into the third and fourth a little bit rattled, a bit tired. Still thinking, you know, ah, oh, you know, KD and Kyrie, they're so good. They'll just win us the game. They're our heroes. They'll just put us in the backpack. They'll carry us to the victory. You know, didn't work out. Um, so it's it's going to be really interesting to see what these Brooklyn Nets do in the off season because they paid these guys so much money. You know, forty, fifty million dollars a year to come and play. For this team and when you do that you can't really build a good team around them and that's what happened to them last year they went out in the playoffs in you know basically at the semifinals or the finals of the east conference but they didn't have a bench they didn't have other guys who they could count on and teams did the same tactic last year they just were let me try and shut you down shut your best players down and make someone else hit big shots and they couldn't They either missed the shots or they couldn't get them involved. So, you know, big credit to Boston. They have uh, a guy, Marcus Smart, who is the Defensive Player of the Year. So he really showed up and, you know, covered those guys really good, covered the Brooklyn Nets, whoever he was guarding really well. Um, And they just have more of a complete team, know how to get everyone else involved. Jason Tatum is a young star who's rising on their team So it's great to See him do well um, It'll be exciting Exciting uh, Future series With Milwaukee Bucks I think It's not confirmed yet I think Depending on today's result But um Boston's waiting for the winner Of Milwaukee Bucks Who won the NBA last year Or Chicago Bulls But it's likely That it's going to be Milwaukee Bucks As they're up in that series At the moment So it's a great resume so far, taking down a big heavyweight in Brooklyn, and they'll have to play Milwaukee next, so we're in for a good series there. Something with the Nets that I want to address too is that, like I mentioned before, you know, Nets started the season and were predicted by everyone to be the number one team and to win the title as they had, you know, the best you know, three players in the league all on one on one team, some would say in that. Like I said before, Ke- Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and James Harden. And then about a month ago, there was a big trade involving Philadelphia and Ben Simmons and swapping him for James Harden and some other um, pieces and picks in the draft and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, Ben Simmons, we know there was a big saga around him in the last sort of two years where... He hasn't really played basketball in the last two years. He's been going through, um, it sounds like, a lot of mental health issues, and that's what's been reported from his camp and through Philadelphia. Um, And then it seems like those haven't resolved yet, but a lot of people are, I don't know, quite disappointed and quite angry at him at the moment as they feel like he let his team down and he should have played and what's taking so long. And I just... I don't know. I don't see many people making the comment around this and I thought this would be you know, an interesting perspective to share but and one that I've learned through physio and it's that you know, people can understand a physical injury way more than a mental one. Like if someone breaks their leg, they, you know, their leg's put into a a cast and they're on crutches and you go, "Okay, that person, I can see why they they're not walking." I can see why they're not, not, you know, maybe showing up to work or they're not showing up for their sport on Saturday, Sunday, but, you know, someone's going through, and I don't know what exactly Ben Simmons is going through, and I think that's what, why people should give him more of a break. I think that we haven't heard exactly, you know, you never know what someone's going through, and until you have all the contests to put it all together, you shouldn't be too quick to judge about all that stuff, and you know, I think it seems like there's a lot going on for him in his own personal life and whether that's, you know, anxiety, depression, stress, a bit of everything, some other stuff with that, um, it's way harder for people to understand, you know, you're an athlete, you're getting paid millions of dollars, just go out in the court, shoot some buckets, put it in the hoop, do it for your team, um... The one thing that I can understand a little bit of negativity about is it just seems like there's been some wishy-washiness with Ben Simmons and Brooklyn at the start of this series because, you know, leading up to the playoffs, Brooklyn was saying, oh, you know, he's still in the, not in the right headspace and I think everyone could understand that or, you know, people wanted him back, but it you can understand that. But then it was like, okay, he'll be right for the playoffs so. And that's what like the coach was saying. That's what the Nets camp was saying. Um, So everyone was like, okay. But even to me, that didn't really sit right. Like why would a player come back just for the playoffs? Like it's such a different intensity in the NBA to come back and just play the finals. Like that's a big ask. And I don't think he would be, I didn't expect him to be ready for that. Um, And I think it's unfair to expect him to be ready for that after not playing basketball for basically two years. So mental, like mental health is are very, uh, like fluid and can change rapidly. You know, people have, you know, having a bad time and then things start to look better. Things start to look up, but you know, things can change day to day. Like that's where I think it's hard when Ben Simmons sort of brought a tiny bit on like that on himself a little bit or made it hard for him in that he was saying, okay, You know, I'm ready to go, but now my back is injured. I've got back problems. Maybe he should come and see me. I'm doing my PhD in low back pain, but, you know, that's besides the point. He's saying that he's got back problems, Um, and, you know, he's feeling good. He's in a, like, clearer mind state, you know, doing better. And then I'll be ready for the Boston Celtics game. Like, put me in, coach, game three, game four, I'll be good. And then he starts saying oh, uh, nah, I'm not feeling the best. Back's better, but, you know, I'm not in the right headspace or I just won't be able to play ruling himself out. And I think that's where people, the inconsistency is of wanting Ben, people wanting to see him play and getting paid a big money and being involved in a big trade, lots of hype. People want to see him on the court and it's more understandable to look at someone, you know, if he'd broken his leg or torn a hamstring and he tries to go out there and he's just gives you that look like, oh, I can't do it. And you go, oh, of course, you know, it's too early, you know, his leg's still, a, you know, bone's still healing or that muscle's still a bit torn. It's way harder to see, you know, the cogs in someone's mind and where they're at. And you know, you can think you're having some some good days after a really rough period, but then quickly spiral back into that sort of dark place. So it's hard to, I don't know, I don't want to be too hard on him. And I think a lot of people are jumping on his back and probably hurting his back more. Um, so, yeah, I think it will be – he's in a good position now to take this off-season, really try to get his body and his mind right and return to being a great player. Because when we last saw him on the basketball court – um. You know, he was a, a really, like, he was a defensive player of the year um, and can move and transition the basketball really well and is um, can dunk the ball, can score points. Still needs to work on his shooting a little bit, but um, we'll see. I'm excited to, to see him and how he develops this offseason. Shifting gears now to another matchup in the playoffs in the NBA still another interesting one has been over on the West coast the number one team Phoenix Suns who have won the most games this year in the regular season and set a franchise record for their uh, team winning the most games ever in history in like for their team um, in a season they're playing the New Orleans Pelicans um, and I think everyone going into this would have thought oh. This one should be a sweep too, you know, Phoenix has been amazing, they last year lost, they came second, so Milwaukee Bucks defeated the Phoenix Suns last year in the NBA Finals, Phoenix have gotten even better since last year, they'll easily take care of the Pelicans, and first game went like that, they cruised through, and on home court like handled business, Then in the second game, they still won the game, but their star player, Devin Booker, young guy, absolute freak athlete, can score the ball from anywhere in the court. So, so fun to watch. He um, got injured. He pulled his hamstring about halfway through the game and went off. He hasn't been back since in this series. And since then, the Pelicans have been winning games. So they won the next two, even up the... The series two all, and then just yesterday or the day before, Phoenix won Game Five, so they're winning the series three to two. Uh, so in NBA series, it's first to first to four wins. It's a best of seven, uh, if needed. So, but it's been really impressive to watch uh, the young Pelicans team with Brandon Ingram and you know CJ McCollum who's come over from Portland Trailblazers recently really step up and uh, give the Suns a run for their money and as they should, um, you know, the Suns have let this injury with Devin Booker sort of leaves the door open and makes it a much more interesting series. Like it's a shame because the Suns have been such a good team in the regular season and they deserve to be one of the sort of final four teams left at the end of the year when we get down to it. But for me, in sports in general, I I don't have lots of teams that I root for. I I just love to see close games, and I love to see, you know, two minutes left to go or fourth quarter or ten minutes left to go in a game. I feel like anyone can win. Um, that's entertaining for me, um, you know, not knowing what the outcome is going to be and why live sport is so exciting. I feel like <laughs> back in the day I would try – and record, you know, NRL games or soccer games and watch it back later. But if the game had already happened and it hadn't been spoiled for me, I would still catch myself, you know, skipping ahead five minutes and going, oh, is there a goal yet? Or let me just get to the last 20 minutes, see if it's close, see if it's interesting. Um, Yeah. Anyway, the sort of comparison that I thought of was that the Pelicans and their bench, you know, have been stepping up and The two star players for the Pelicans, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCullum, have been able to get the other guys, the other three guys on the team um, when they're on, to be on and hit their shots and involve them, get their confidence up. And, you know, they've been double teamed as well. Pelicans know this is the number eight team. They're number eight for a reason. They only have a couple of good players. Let's double team them and make someone else win. But, these young Pelicans got have been smart enough to tr- find ways around it. Um, passing the ball well, um, getting these guys involved, hitting their shots when they can, being really efficient, not turning the ball over. It's been great to see. Um, so Pelicans need to win this next game. They need to win the next two if, they have a, if they're going to win the series. But really, they've got home court advantage in game six. It's back in New Orleans, so they really need to take care of business at home and force it to a game seven and just see what happens. Um, but I've just been really impressed to them and thought it's an interesting comparison when you know the Pelicans, the number eight teams bench is shining brighter than Brooklyn's bench and, and stepping up in big moments and you know at least winning some games in the playoffs. so great to see. Man, another interesting series has been the Dallas Mavericks, who are the number four team in the West, playing Utah Jazz, who are the number five team, or who are, you know, Pav knows that I like to call the Utah team their proper name, which is the Utah Ass. And sorry for that language, but, you know, it's appropriate because they really are ass. They play like that. They are so idiotic and. Their tactics in this series uh, have just been that. They've just been head-scratching. You know, I I feel like I could coach this Jazz team better than they're being coached right now. Um, And they just just waste star talent. So again, they're another team with two big stars on the team, like Donovan Mitchell, a short sort of shooting guard who can hit a lot of threes, uh, great dribbler, can score layups and... Is a good scorer. Then they have the big Frenchman Rudy Gobert, and he is sort of like a poor man's Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks. He, you know, plays in and around the paint, close to the basket in that post area, scoring a lot of dunks and really great defender. Over the last few years, I mean, been in first All, all NBA team defender. Um, is great around the basket in the rim at blocking shots. But what has been so mind-boggling with the Jazz and coming into this series, Dallas did something stupid in that in the last game of the series, their star player, Luka Doncic on the Dallas Mavericks, played instead of resting and he actually injured his calf muscle in that game. You know, didn't need to play that game, wasn't really going to impact the standings, played it anyway, got injured, and it's like, oh, going into it before the games had even been played, looking at that matchup, it's like, oh, okay, are the Utah actually going to handle business, and they're playing basically like scrubs out there, or Dallas's second team, like a bunch of nobodies, they don't have their star player in Dallas anymore, they really should, you know, maybe even sweep Dallas, that's what it comes down to, but Dallas actually won uh, the first couple games, and are taking a big lead in this series as Utah's tactics, man. So Dallas are playing really short shooting guards. So people who are good at scoring from three and running around dribbling rather than really tall uh, basketball players like centers and power forwards who are good at, like, working in the paint, dunking, players like like a player like Shaq or something. Um, but Utah keep this their big rim defender Rudy Gobert and they basically like doggy doggy guard him, that's like an Australian term when we play tip and that sort of thing but basically he's a stick in the mud underneath the basket basically like a scarecrow just with his hands up. They leave the whole middle of the court available and Dallas just goes okay we'll just shoot you know uncontested baskets then, uncontested threes, we'll walk in, score easy baskets and it's like you, these Utah ass players and the coach are standing there like air traffic controllers with the neon signs waving him in. Come down the runway. This is the scoring zone. Pull up anywhere here for a free bucket. <laughs> oh, man. it's And that's exactly what Dallas has been doing and they're not getting challenged on it. And Dallas are winning easy games and they're getting to recover, you know, make sure that Luka Doncic is back healthy for the next series, basically. So, man, this is just a, a massive call-out and indictment to the Utah-ass franchise. Blow it up, sell it all, fire the coaching staff. I'm available if you want. If you need a coach. Uh, my goodness, it is sad to see. It's hard to watch those games because it feels like, you know, high schoolers are playing preschoolers at basketball or, you know, an NBA team, this Dallas team is playing high schoolers. It's just unfair to watch and just, you're like, what's happening? Is there even a coach? Are there even tactics here? We can all see this. Why is there no adjustments? Why are you sticking and being stubborn to this strategy of having, you know, this Rudy Gobert guy, great player, but he's not adjusting and he's not appropriate for what Dallas are giving them. Um, so very funny, funny to watch. Back to the East now, uh, the fourth seed, Philadelphia, um, is playing Toronto Raptors. And my goodness, at the start of this series, I thought, oh, this should be a really interesting series. Like, like both teams evenly matched. I think it'll be like I think it will go seven games. Like I think Philadelphia will win a game and then Toronto will win a game and it'll just go back and forth and it'll be really exciting. But then Philadelphia came out in the first few games and their star players, Joel Embiid, and he's um, you know, a lot of people's most valuable player this season has just been an absolute beast and bullying the Toronto players and to be fair, Toronto had a few injuries to their star players and their, um, key players on their team in the first couple of games, so Philadelphia went up 3-0, and why that's significant is, you know, in a best of 7 series, if you go up 3-0, you just need one more game to win 4, and, uh, the series is over, that's a sweep. Um, and no one has ever won three games and then lost a series, like, no team has ever, lost three games in a row, and then come back and won all four. But, oh my goodness, I don't know if you've been keeping up with basketball, but there's so many memes at the moment because Toronto are are doing just that. They won game four, so now it's 3-1. They, Philadelphia's like, oh, no worries, no worries. We just lost at Toronto for Game 4. Don't worry, next one's at Philadelphia. It's in our house. We're going to party, we're going to eat Philly cheesesteaks, and we're going to go out on the town and have a big celebration at Game 5 when we win that. Oops, they lost Game 5. It's 3-2. And Game 6 is tomorrow, and you just look at the body language of the Philadelphia players when they were playing the last couple games. It is not good. They do not come out with any energy. It feels like they don't want to win. It feels like they're just waiting for Toronto to wave the white flag. And the thing about Toronto is they are always going to be physical and they are never going to lie down. They're not going to give up. Uh, So that's just not them. So I think Toronto, when they go back for game six in Canada, they're going to take care of business, make it 3-3, and we're going to come back to Philadelphia for a Game 7, and my days, I think we might have the first ever moment in history where a team like the Toronto Raptors were down, lost the first three games, but still came back to win a series in Game 7. Man, that will be the biggest choke in sport history if that actually happens. If you remember back in... The 2016 finals when Golden State were totally unstoppable, had the best year ever uh, in NBA, winning 73 games. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, no Kevin Durant at that that stage, uh, won 73 games, blitzed everybody, came up against LeBron in the finals, and they were up. In that seven-game series, they were up 3-1. But we all know that LeBron and the boys came back Basically, just LeBron. When I said the boys, <laughs> it really is the boys. Uh, Kyrie. Actually, I'm forgetting Kyrie was on that team. Um, so he was a good player. It's like Batman and Robin. But um, that's why that series, like that loss for Golden State, everyone remembers and everyone points fun at because they had it in the bag and they should have won that. You know, they were up three wins to one, and just needed one more win, and they couldn't get it. So it's going to be even worse and even more memed if Doc Rivers, the head coach, who has thrown a lot of leads, he's had a few 3-1 losses as a coach where he's been up 3-1 and a team has come back and him and won three more games in a row and he's lost a series. So people are like, you know, Doc Rivers with the Philadelphia this year, he he wouldn't be the first coach. To choke a 3-0 lead Unless Wait, hold up Wait Oh, they lost one They lost two Looks like they're going to lose three Uh, We're going to see I, I'm i really confident that Toronto is going to win in Toronto And it's going to be 3 all. That's going to happen tomorrow uh, If not, then respect to Philly Then they'll just, you know Duking us out testing us out, having fun. But, even if Philly beats Toronto, I think, in the East, it's really going to come down to the other side, with, you know, the Boston, who just beat the Brooklyn Nets, or, Milwaukee Bucks, the defending champions. They're the two, best teams, and, the teams that I see, you know, they're going to have to play each other, so the, basically the winner of that matchup is going to win the East, I think. Like, they'll knock out, Philly or Miami, whoever wins out of those series. Um, so I don't think Philadelphia has much hope anyway. But man, I'm, I'm here for the memes. I'm here for the Doc Rivers choke. I'm here for Toronto showing incredible fortitude and perseverance and just taking it one game at a time. Um, there's been a lot of trash talk in this series about how... The refs are calling the game and fouls and stuff between the best player on Philadelphia, Joel Embiid, and the coach, Nick Nurse of Toronto. Man, uh, I'm just here for it. I'm excited to watch that match tomorrow. So we'll leave the NBA Finals playoffs talk there for the moment. We'll come back to that in the next couple of episodes uh, when we'll pivot on to the next big event um uh, in sport at the moment which is coming up in the next few days which is the NFL draft unfortunately compared to the last couple of years I'm not as hyped not as excited and yeah just not looking looking forward to it as much as I usually do you know last couple of years I've like literally called in sick or taken the day off work and had it up on the TV and been watching the draft like an absolute psycho, um, you know, watching each team make their picks of the, the new up-and-coming best college players. Um, but the, the main reason it's not as exciting this year is because the NFL is a quarterback-driven league. So that's the most important position. That position is paid the most amount of money. That's how you build your teams. That's how you win as a franchise. You know, the teams with the best quarterbacks get to the playoffs. And you don't have to have the best quarterback to win a Super Bowl, but it sure does help. And getting a good rookie, um, first year quarterback for the NFL from college is a really important way to build your team. And it's just a not it not not as exciting draft this year because the quarterbacks that are coming out um, are just not of the standard and the quality that we've seen in the past few years. You know, last year we had Trevor Lawrence. You know, we had th- three or four quarterbacks basically go in the top ten. We had five go in the top twenty picks in the first round. So, you know, Trevor Lawrence, transcendent player compared to. Great players like Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. Um, you know we had Justin Fields, a big Ohio State kid, um, who's been showed lots of uh, good signs so far for Chicago, and they just need to build around him. Zach Willen, uh, Wilson supposed to be a great talent, um, big potential, big future. Trey Lance, you know the 49ers, San Francisco 49ers last year, trading three first-round picks to go and get. Trey Lance number three, um, you know Mac Jones with the Patriots as a rookie led um, the new Patriots team after Tom Brady left them a couple of years back, back to the playoffs after a little drought. Um, so compared to that, and you know the year before, right? We had Joe Burrow. We had I know that Tua hasn't been good, but Tua was a Tua Tungabailoa was a huge prospect from Alabama. And I think it comes down to all, you know, we still have, it's not like, Tom, there's still quarterbacks coming out this year. You know, there is Malik Willis, there is Matt Corral, there is Kenny Pickett, there is Sam Howe, there's guys. But I think it's like the equivalent of, you know, well, first let me say this, that, you know, the quarterbacks who have been good and have been picked highly, And the quality quarterbacks that have come out in previous drafts have come from Power Five schools. So, Power Five basically being the most elite schools in college football. The best teams with the best coaches, with the best supporting cast, the best wide receivers, running backs, all the teams around them play in the best divisions. They go to the college football playoffs. Highly experienced, really mature, great leaders. And it's like the equivalent of this year, you know, we have all these graduates or students, you know, if we had all the students in, you know, New South Wales or Australia get picked or allocated to jobs, it's like this year we're picking students only from, you know, year 11, year 12 and TAFE. And, you know, not to shit on, TAFE for year 11, year 12 students. I know that we have, you know, lots of bright kids and, you know, really diverse and, um, cool people that, that are still smart and can do lots of things, but college football is very elitist and it's the equivalent of, we've had these previous drafts where all these quarterbacks have come from Sydney uni or New South Wales uni, um, really respected institutions who are known for nurturing and building young talent and who really try and test them um, and that NFL scouts and general managers and coaches look at and go, yeah, we we can feel more sure about him. Um, yeah, we've seen what he's done. He's got experience. He's got wins under his belt. He played with a big coach or played with a really good team with other NFL prospects and talent, rather than just, oh, should we take a chance on this TAFE kid to come and be the first year lawyer, the first year physio, or the first year doctor, why don't we, we go with the university kid, and, you know, I'm not saying it's, that's right, that's just a system that's in place, and that's sort of like the comparison that I can make to it, that we have. Previously, you know, a lot of quarterbacks coming from schools who have made the playoffs and won championships and the elite of the elite. And then you might go, well, where are those quarterbacks this year? They're not ready yet. They're not eligible for the draft. So to be eligible for the draft, you have to be in your final two years of college. So we're in this transition period where we had... Lots of big names, like I said before, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields, um, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, big names. And now we have all the kids from the non-Power 5 schools who are quarterbacks coming out in this draft. And they're still talented, but they're going to take more work, and it's going to be riskier picks. Um, Yeah, and there's just a lot of unknowns, a lot of development with them so I think that scares teams and that's why it's not as hyped up as much the top picks are going to be a lot of offensive linemen defensive tackles wide receivers cornerbacks some defensive players um, rather than the staple sort of quarterbacks that we're used to seeing so I don't know it'll be interesting to see which teams pick where and what that's like, how it all shakes out. Another thing that fascinates me about the draft every year is like the process that happens with trying to get the best value in what position you're in. So basically, you know, there's six rounds, six, seven rounds, and the order that teams will pick Like, you know, each team at default will get one pick in each round unless they've previously, like, traded it to other teams for players or traded during the draft for other picks or players and that sort of thing. So how it works is it tries to equalise the league um, or the system. So the team that lost the most games last year, which was Jacksonville Jaguars, um, So like the worst teams every year. Are given the highest pick Get given preference um, Get, you know Number one, number two, number three Picks, and it goes by order of wins Like, if you lost the most games Last year, then you get the first Overall pick, the team that won the Super Bowl will get the very Last pick in, in the first round And then again, so Like I said before, teams can trade Around different picks, it can switch Up a little bit I don't know, you have the team that just won the Super Bowl, the LA Rams, their philosophy is uh, F them picks, like screw them picks. Uh, They like to trade trade away a lot of their draft picks, like their first, second round picks, and rather give them to other teams and, in exchange, take their best sort of veteran players to build up their squad that way. Whereas, you know, teams like the Patriots or the Colts or... Philadelphia, Saints, um, Tampa Bay really like to build their teams through the draft, invest in young guys, develop them, turn them into big superstars. So it's a couple of different philosophies with the draft and lots of GMs and coaches at this time of year, scouts as well, are really thinking about you know, what number is our pick from this 32 team. So first to 32 and who are we going to take and like giving them a grade, like on a paper, like we're giving him a 10 out of 10 or a nine out of 10, or he's an A plus, or, you know, we like this player. We think he's like a B or a B minus. Are other teams high on him? Do other teams like him? Who's he talking to? Um, You know, what positions do we need for our team? Where do we need young guys? You know, that's the hard thing. Like I said before, like, it's not a big quarterback draft, but you do have some teams out there like Carolina, um, who, you know, the Falcons, who both really need a quarterback, but it's just not a, a draft where a quarterback can come in and save your team that's ready to step up and really play. A lot of these guys have a lot of raw talent, the quarterbacks coming out, but need to sit for a year, learn the position more really work on their mechanics, how they're throwing the ball, hip positioning, can they fit the ball into tight windows when they're throwing it, you know. Such a big jump up from the college to the pros in the NFL is the defences are so much more intense, they're so much smarter that, again, only the best of the best really succeed to that level. Um, but yeah, all, like the coaches, GMs, scouts are really tuned into what value can we get for our pick and making sure we're not you know reaching too far forward or playing too far back. So if I compare it to like the housing market in Sydney, no one really likes to talk about the housing market in Sydney because it's going crazy, but it's you need to be careful when you're buying, for example, that you really, you know, evaluate a house and let's say, okay, we think this house is worth five hundred thousand dollars. $600,000, $700,000, but then you might, it might go to auction or it's time to buy it, you don't want to pay for that house that you think is $500,000, you don't want to pay a million for it, right? Because you're overpaying for it. And then when it's time to sell it, you're not making as much profit or you're just in a way riskier position. So that's just the type of thing that the NFL draft is, is like, and that's where the general managers, the GMs, make their money here because they need to really think, okay, we like this player and but can we can we get him in the second round, you know, instead of using our first round pick, which is higher and sooner that we can get the best player, can we wait and potentially use a later pick and use our first round pick or a more valuable pick on someone else who's more of a steal or the best player, or someone else wants him and we can take him out of their hands. Um, can we get that house for 450, 495, instead of 500000 Instead of... GMs and coaches get themselves in a lot of trouble when they reach forward. And that was like, you know, the Raiders coach in the past has been like that, where he's been making foolish decisions, where he's just like, you know... Most teams would have had a player is like a C plus or a B plus based on his college film and his workouts and his interviews with that team. And then John Gruden, the former Raiders coach, he'd be like, Hmm, let's take him with our number 10 pick in the first round. Let's, let's use, let's waste this pick on him. It's like, no, use it on someone else. Use it on someone Take an even better player and just wait. If you really want that guy, wait till the second round or the third round or fourth round to get him. He'll still be there. Don't overreach. Don't pay a million dollars for a house that's only worth 500000 Just lastly about the NFL draft too is that in previous years, lots of general managers, coaches, scouts, NFL analysts, they all do like a mock draft and predict who you know, the top 50 sort of guys are going to be in that draft. And in previous years, again, why I'm not as hyped on this draft in previous years, they're all pretty unanimous. It's all pretty similar. Like every, everybody, every team, the media, the fans know who the best sort of 50 players are and who, yeah, who should go in that top 50, who should go in the first two rounds this year everybody has different takes everyone's got different opinions about who should be in the top 10 who should be the number one pick who who's a first rounder who's a second round pick who's a third round pick um every draft that i've seen is different so it's crazy i, I i'm really excited to see how that all shakes out um, and again it's it's like a lot it's Yeah, it's like a lottery this draft sort of period. Like you it's so unknown and you don't really get judged on it or you won't really know how well you did until a year, two years, three years from now, because even from last year's draft, we know the big hitters, like we knew that Jamar Chase, incredible season. Um who else? Like, Rashawn Slater, like, offensive tackle for the Chargers. Incredible, like, pro ball dudes, right? We know who the pro bowlers are. But it takes some time for people to develop into NFL professionals um, and become really, really good and take over the league. Like I said, you know, before about teams taking time to, you know, mold their rookies into the system, the tactics, how they're going to actually play. So, man, this type of time, it gets people uh, fired, it gets people promotions, Uh, you hear a lot of whispers about things, and just be interesting to see how it all shakes out. So I'll come back maybe in the second episode or third episode and really break down the draft and see... Which teams did what, and what needs they tried to address, and go from there. It'd be fascinating. Moving on now, leaving the NFL draft, and just moving on to the last bit of this podcast. Now, I uh, just want to go through some sort of introductory Q and A questions for the end of this episode, and hopefully, in future episodes, I can, um, you know, interact with the list anyone who listens and. You guys can send me a DM about your suggestions or topics that you want to hear about, or any questions uh, around sports and what's happening um, that I'll answer on this sort of part of the, uh, the episode. Um, so what I was thinking is just letting people know which teams that I go for in different um, sports. So in NFL and NBA that I watch a lot of at the moment. You know, I have family in the US in. California, like right down the bottom, sort of in the middle of nowhere in the desert. So, used to go for like the San Diego Chargers and now they're the LA Chargers. Um, they've got a, a cool, young, bright, young, young, so many times well, um, Justin Herbert, who's so talented, um, big arm, tall guy, very physical, great leader, soft-spoken, funny, yeah. Really excited for his future. He he's a great player and someone exactly what the Chargers need. They've been through so many heartbreaking seasons. Um but again also I really like the Arizona Cardinals and both, you know, the LA Chargers and the Cardinals are both about halfway in between where my family lives out in the desert. So kinda of have a little bit of affinity for both those teams and I, I do really like Kyla Murray. Um you know, there's lots of drama with him at the moment. I'll, I'll get into that in another episode, I'm sure. Um, and I want to see how that shakes up with his contract and yeah, how that all resolves. Um, but I do like those two teams in the NFL NBA. I do kind of bandwagon the Golden State Warriors a little bit. They're just like so fun to watch. And especially now that Klay Thompson's back and Steph Curry's back to his normal self, like they're, shooting the ball so well and so entertaining to watch. Um, but I do like to just watch and go for, for different storylines and sort of players that I, that I like or want to see do well. So, you know, I like Damien Lillard. I like watching, you know, Ja Morant, um, you know, Devin Booker. I want to see the Suns do well this year. Um, Toronto has been a great story, trying to come back from and force this choke out of Philadelphia you know, Jokic at Denver Nuggets, he's been incredible to watch, Um, yeah, exactly, like, just watching different players who I find impressive, or like their storyline, or just know a little bit about, and rather than letting myself get heartbroken by a specific team, (laughs) um, similar to, like, NRL here in Australia, like, was born in Canberra, so I have a, you know, connection with Canberra Raiders, and like to see them do well, and then live the closest team to me in Sydney here is Parramatta Eels um but with like with you know both those NFL teams and the NRL teams always seem to pick teams that break my heart and every year it's like it's their year it's their year we're gonna do well and they actually do start the season well you know Arizona going undefeated last year for quite a while Chargers doing well in then Chargers not making the playoffs, choking it away, Arizona choking away first place and, you know, basically like pooping the bed in the playoffs game, worst outing by them. It's so embarrassing. Parramatta Eels, again, haven't been good since Peter Sterling, basically every year is our year and then find a way to, you know, sneak into the top eight or the top four and then, again... Absolutely choke away the season, stupid turnovers or errors, losing in the last minute. That's similar to Canberra Raiders as well. So, again, I think not being too attached to a team is, is good for me. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll end up crying about it. So um, just liking different players from around the league. And I don't know, with NRL as well, it's like Penrith and this Melbourne Storm just have a chokehold over the league. So may as well just go for them. <laughs> My um, my mom asked me a question because she's traveling to the U.S. soon and was saying, you know, I'm going to San Francisco. Um, just give me any tips or pointers about if someone tries to talk to me about sport there, what should I know? Um, so, like, the big teams, you know, NBA, Golden State Warriors, are in the playoffs. Like, they're the San Francisco team. They're the team from the Bay. You know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, back in the team. They've got this young young kid, young superstar brewing, like a mini Steph Curry, you know, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, they're the Splash Brothers, because, um, you know, hit a lot of threes, make the net, net go splash, um, just incredible to watch, they, both of them shoot the ball like I've never seen before and shoot it from the car park, basically, it's a, it's crazy, you have to wipe your eyes every time a ball goes in and just check you're not dreaming, you have to pinch yourself when you're watching them, um, but now they've got this young talent Jordan Poole who's like the third splash brother now was in a pool party basically that's what they call him all the puns intended there um but yeah he's he's now like one of the three musketeers with Steph and Clay shooting the ball so well and playing really physical and just ascending into a superstar these these playoffs and end of the season so I think you know just mention him he's been so impressive um yeah, they're a really scary team, the Golden State Warriors, when they're healthy. When they have everyone healthy, you know, I thought they would have beat Toronto in that championship back in 2019 when Toronto won it if KD and Clay don't go down. And um, yeah, when they're healthy, they're they're unbeatable, basically. So, mention them. Another team in the NFL that's huge is like San Francisco 49ers. NFL's in the off season at the moment, but there's a their best player, like Debo Samuel. He's like a running back, wide receiver hybrid, young guy, but he's kind of spitting the dummy a little bit at the moment, wanting a lot of money. Um, and that situation is interesting because he's played he played really really well and was probably the best player in the league last year, but he only did it for one year and. You know It's hard when the market is so big in the NFL and so many other wide receivers and running backs are getting tens of millions of dollars, but they've also been doing it for tens of years or five, six, seven years and proven I can stay healthy, unreliable, productive. So the team's in a tough spot going, we don't want to pay you that much, otherwise we can't build the team how we want and... We do value you though, but this guy wants Debo Samuel and the 49ers wants, wants the smoke, wants the money, wants the recognition. So I think, you know, you can mention name, drop him and see what people think. <laughs> Just lastly, before I end this episode, I wanted to end it on uh, an interesting thought or observation I've had for a little while now. And I have want to see what, what people think. So you can send me a, a message and see if you agree or disagree or I think I'm a psycho um, but I had this view that if you're wearing you know a clothes or a hat or socks and it has a sports team logo on it that you should it's your responsibility <laughs> to know at least a little bit about that team and here you know so if someone's wearing you know a Manchester City soccer jersey or Lakers hat or you know, Parramatta Eel shirt. You, you should know a little bit about you know, I shouldn't say Australian teams because it's more likely people are in touch, but really for Australian teams, people should know what's going on. But I see it so much with people wearing Raiders, Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, or formerly the Oakland Raiders, um, that you know, cotton on and factory are a sucker for selling people, you know, Raiders hats, shirts, socks, and I see it so much, and Raiders are one of those teams, that are in so much turmoil, they've had so many scandalous things happen to them, like people going to jail, coaches being fired, you know, quarterback controversies, just everything's happening to that team, and I just think, oh, I It makes me want to go up to you and just go, like, oh, like, start talking, have a conversation, see what you think about the Raiders, right? Like, this guy, your wide receiver who's like basically freshly drafted, only two years into the league, going to jail for the rest of his life, or, you know, former coach John Gruden getting caught out by racist emails from a decade ago and then getting fired. You know, scandalous, crazy, huge developments. But I, I feel like no one even knows about they don't even know what they're wearing. It's just like, oh, for the fashion. And I can understand that. But um I don't know. It would be it would it would be more entertaining if more people knew exactly what was happening to the teams and the brands and the logos that they were wearing. Yeah. Maybe I should I could start a series like a TikTok or an Instagram where I go and have some conversations with people wearing a jersey and <laughs> You know, someone's wearing a a Raiders or a Man City shirt, and I try to talk to them about what's happening with that team or what what their thoughts are, and see if they're totally clueless or they are, they do have some idea, or it is just for the fashion. I don't know. It might be cringy, but yeah. Tell me if I'm crazy or not. Should should you know about the sporting team if you're wearing it? At least just a little bit. Not like. You don't have to know, have a podcast about it like me, but um, should you at least know, are they having a good year or a bad year, what's generally happening, yeah, I think you should. Anyway, with that, we've talked about, you know, the introduction, the sort of foundations of this podcast, and a bit of an introduction to who I am, we talked about the MBA, the NFL, um the NFL draft in particular. Um, And we'll leave it at that. I think I'm excited to come back with episode two and see, talk to more about some further NBA playoff stuff, um, more things about the draft that will have happened in the next few days. We'll see how I go with schedule-wise and when I upload. I think I'll try twice a week and try to space it out a little bit, so maybe once on the weekend and once midweek, Let's see how I go with it. But um, thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Bye.